It is my final sermon as a senior pastor here at this church, but Lord willing, there will be many more sermons uh, coming. I did some quick, uh, but I think pretty accurate uh, calculations uh, this past week. And uh, as I come into the pulpit uh, this morning, I have, have preached uh, close to 8,000 sermons in 51 years. And what a joy it has been. And uh, uh, if, uh, if I could live my life over, I would do the same thing uh, again. It's just been a, just been a marvelous, marvelous uh, way to live and a wonderful place to, to be and to raise our family. And we thank all of you for the way that you've contributed uh, to our testimony this morning that all of our children are in Christ And uh, many of you were a very significant part of that. You made church welcoming and exciting for our kids. And uh, we are just uh, so appreciative of that. It was never, ever a problem uh, in our home for uh, getting the the kids up and, uh, and coming to church on Sunday morning. And that wasn't because their daddy was the preacher. That's, that was the, uh, way that they, they learn to anticipate the excitement and the joy and the, the pleasure of, of church because of so many of, of you. Some of you uh, ask me, uh, do you know what your last sermon at Yorkshire is going to be? And that was a, that was a number of weeks ago also. And I had given that a lot of thought, and I decided, well, I, I would preach with some adjustments. The first sermon that I preached here 18 years ago. But then I figured you'd all remember that one. <laughs> so I thought some more about this. And uh, I decided to... I decided to go back and revisit the text that was the scripture background for the very first sermon I ever preached. I was in my second semester as a college freshman and we had a course that was required of us. It was called pre-theological orientation and we were given instruction in preaching because back in those days, there were many churches without pastors. And a lot of us at the college level pastored churches, which I did for my junior and senior year uh, in college. So it was uh, a course that was, uh, was well prescribed for us. And uh, I remember well, it was a Tuesday afternoon that I stood behind the pulpit in Calvary EUB Church in Lamars, Iowa, and preached to my professor and my peers. On Thursday afternoon, I went back to class and uh, listened to their critique, their evaluation of my sermon. And then after that, it was one-on-one time with my professor as I listened to what he had to say. He gave me my manuscript back, 
And it was as colorful as this pyramid. <laughs> he, uh, he questioned me about a, a couple of things, but for the most part, it wasn't as, as brutal as what I thought it would be. And uh, he said, but I do have one real serious criticism of you. And I thought, well, here it comes, and here goes my grade. He said, I don't like your title. And I don't remember what I entitled it. But he said, why didn't you call your sermon Peculiar People? And I said, well, it never occurred to me to call it, entitle it Peculiar People. And he said, well, those words leap off the page of the Old Testament the King James of the New Testament of the King James Version. And so, as I recall, Dr. Merle Curtis Davis, tremendous man of God, and one for whom I'm very grateful, having been part of, of my journey, I entitled this morning's sermon, Peculiar People. Going back to that text, which I preached that Tuesday afternoon, 53 years ago, you're not getting the same sermon. <laughs> you can feel comfortable about that. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now it's there. That in the King James, it says, a peculiar people. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Today we celebrate the, the birth of the Christian church. It's, it's Pentecost Sunday. That day when the breath of God's spirit moved into that room where the disciples were, were waiting for the promise that Jesus said would be fulfilled that was coming from on high. It was an ecstatic moment for them. And the Bible tells us that, that they spoke with, in, in ecstatic language. They were overcome with joy and gladness and, and great delight and, and pleasure because that experience of the Spirit coming upon them, anointing them in the Word of God, fulfilled for their time, galvanized them. And from that experience, we have been raised up. Across the centuries, God has developed his church. As I look out across this congregation this morning, I do indeed see a peculiar people. Not in the sense that you are bizarre or odd, because that's usually what we imply when we use that term. Well, he's sure peculiar. But that you are, you see, as the ancient language uses the word distinctive. You are marked by the anointing of God himself as his people. And that mark 
you have consented to. And you are those through whom God now is making his appeal. You stand on the long line of holy history with people who are aware that they are different. You are aware of that, aren't you? That as women and men of faith, you are different. There's no way of getting around it. There's no other way <coughs> of saying it. You're different. You look different. You act different. And that's the way it ought to be. The distinctives of faith ought to characterize you in every way. When Peter wrote his letter, he had calmed down. God was using him greatly. He had come to, to victory in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was being raised up as leader of the church. He had already preached and saw the conversion of thousands by his preaching. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved is the testimony of Luke in the Acts of the Apostles. Peter had had great success, great victory, but he knew his peculiarity. He knew from whence he came. He knew what God's call was upon his people centuries before. Do you know that the scripture that was read to you this morning is drawn from one of the oldest books in the Old Testament? It's from the book of Deuteronomy. And I want to take you there. I want to take you to Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. And listen closely for the quote that you heard me read from this first letter of Peter. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's who they were to be. Yet they struggled. Who were all of those people to whom Peter wrote? Where did they come from? Who are all of these people who are before me this morning? Where do they come from? Well, those to whom Peter wrote came from these places. It's in verse 1 of chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, on this Sunday morning, June 9, 2019, we are at the front of that line of holy history. And I hope that we are as aware 
of our differences and our peculiarities as were they who came before us. There are names, titles of honor and distinction that belong to God's people. And these are titles and words of distinction that you and and I ought to lay claim to and appropriate to our lives. Let's just break them down quickly as Peter listed them here in this first letter. We are people of God. Wouldn't that make a great chant? We are people of God. There you go. Let's try it again. We are people of God. Yeah, and that's exactly what he wants us to think. That's exactly what he wants us to know. We are people of God's because we are the people of his choice and favor. That's not a word for antiquity. That is a word for this morning. You are the people of God's choice in Jesus Christ. And imagine this, Paul said it so well, God wants to appeal to the creation through you. God wants to make his appeal through you. How are you doing with that? Are you making the appeal for God? Or to say it another way, are you appealing so that people will want to come to know the Savior? And Peter said, and, and there is a royalty about you. And the royalty is, is wondrous. You have a kingly ancestry. You belong to the one who is now the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a privileged status that is yours. And you own it because it's yours from God through Jesus Christ. And that status as a royal priesthood is so special. You remember what the work of the priests was, don't you? They were the ones who offered the sacrifices on behalf of the people. But now you are the priests who offer the sacrifices acceptable to God. And what are the sacrifices that the people of God offer? Well, they sacri- their sacrifice is their zeal for goodness and the praise of God who gave Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. The sacrifice is to, is to yield the dominion, the authority, the leadership of their lives to the one who came that we may have life forever. And then Peter says, we must understand that all of this is part of belonging to a holy nation. Now, holy is a wonderful word. And here in this chapter from Peter, it is an intensive word, an intensive word. It means to give force and significance to the fact. Give force and significance to the fact that we have an exclusive allegiance and loyalty and it is to none other than God himself. We belong to him. All things 
are through him and for us and back to him. And then he says, you're God's own possession. Now here's where the King James puts in, you are peculiar people. And I really do like that. You are peculiar people. Why is that? It's so simple and yet it's so complex. You are peculiar, especially in a time like ours, because you have chosen to allow your lives to be determined and directed by the word of God. You stand in a very unique position. Do you realize how different you are? Do you realize how separate you are from the world? What an honored status you have. What a powerful position you are in. You are the people of God and you are peculiar. Well, those are our titles. Those are the honors that we've been given. And they are blessings and actual blessings God gives to those who belong solely to him. People whose obedience wavers not. Remember the strong declaration of Job. How he said, even if he would slay me, I will not deny him. Even if he would slay me, I would not deny him. And so our calling is clear and it's compelling, dear ones, that we live a righteous life. The complication is that our calling and our feeling compelled to live the righteous life is that we have to live that righteousness in a hostile world. And culture, culture campaigns against us and attacks like an army of rebels to bring us down. The whole purpose of the evil one of Satan is to bring glory upon himself by the destruction of the church of Jesus Christ. Where you live, where you work, where you go for your fun times, what you do recreationally, everything about you should cause people astonishment. You should indeed appear peculiar. Everything about you should be an astonishment to someone because your Christian qualities and attributes are outstanding. They're visible, not always vocal, but they are visible. To see you, 
to observe your life practice is to watch someone who does life differently, who does not blend in with the masses, but is distinctive and is very, very pivotal. Be sure to note that all the titles Peter listed and all the other titles that we are given in the Bible never, never suggest that a church is a collection of people with the same temperament who worship together according to their particular taste. Church is not that. It cannot be. Church is not about you. It's not about me. You know what church is about? Church is about us. We peculiar people pointing away from ourselves to God Almighty. True salvation produces love for God by obedience to the truths of Jesus Christ. There is no other reason to belong to the church. Peculiar people live in the world by the power of the world to come. Let me say that to you again. Peculiar people live in the world by the power of the world to come. And those are the powers of Almighty God. Now you get to control your response to life. God has blessed you with that freedom, all of us. We determine how we're going to respond to life, what we're going to do in life. And so therefore, as peculiar people, Make known, listen carefully to this, please. Make known what you favor. In other words, make known what you are for, not always what you are against. The world is hostile toward you. And the world is suspicious of you. A lot of people know you're down here at the church this morning. And it will cause some eyebrows to be raised. But that's okay. That's nothing new for peculiar people. But you make sure that wherever you stand, wherever you stand, that place becomes holy ground. You think and act 
like who you want to be. You think and act like the people of God you want to be. And you do that. You do that in all of the communities from which you come until the day God does not need the church on earth anymore. You do that until the church triumphant is where you reside. And you are forever in the glorious, wondrous presence of the Savior, Son of God. God will empower you through his promised spirit to be those kinds of women and men. And let it be said of us that because we understood we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. The world was changed. The Savior exalted. And many, many brought to salvation. So let it be. Amen. I ask you to stand now to sing.